Before I uh, preach this morning, let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word to us, and we thank you for your grace and mercy. Father, we pray that this morning you will help me to speak your truth clearly and accurately, and we pray that you may help every one of us to listen carefully, uh, but to be changed in our hearts that we might become more like Christ. Amen. Brothers, what sin are you struggling with today? The battle against sin is a constant part of our life, isn't it? Uh, It just doesn't go away. Progress can just feel so slow. And we'll take one step forward and then two steps back. Uh, It can be discouraging. Do you want to do better in your battle against sin? I take it you do. Do you want to lift your game? Do you want to fight the good fight? Do you want to be better men than you are right now? See, this battle against sin, it doesn't go away, but we want to do better, don't we? But before we can actually do better, before we can deal with our problems with sin, first we need to understand what the problem is as deeply as we can so that we can find the right solution. And so this morning, uh, we're going to look at our problem of sin uh, in Romans 5.12. So, we're going to work through just this one verse, we'll do it fairly slowly. Here is the first part of the verse. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man... Now, as we move through the verse, I'll just give you a quick uh, translation note. If you have the NIV or the ESV open in front of you, uh, it will have a hyphen at the end of this verse. Uh, It will say this is not a complete sentence. Uh, Paul begins with this one man and then we're waiting for him to finish the comparison, but he won't do that for several more verses. He just stops his sentence. If you have the CSB open, you'll see a full stop at the end of the verse and Paul has finished his comparison of two things. Uh, Let me make just two quick comments on that translation. Is this a complete sentence or not? First, either way, whichever translation you're looking at, what we do have in Romans 5.12 is a comparison between the one man and all people, or all men, to keep that that verbal parallel. So there is a comparison there either way, between the one and the all. Second point, after 1,700 years of debate on this question of whether it's a complete sentence, I've sorted it out. It is a complete sentence. The CSB is correct. (laughs) But what we're going to be looking at this morning is this comparison between the one man, Adam, and all people. Paul says, therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man... Now, brothers, do you believe that's how sin entered the world? Uh, is, that, is this just Paul's convenient rhetoric? Uh, he's, he's talking about the one man, Adam, because he's about to compare him with the one man, Christ. Uh, the church father, comment, well, we don't quite know who he was, but uh, Ambrosiaster is uh, an early commentator uh, from the late third century. He wrote, Paul really meant the woman because he wasn't referring to the particular person, but to the universal human race. 
as of course, you know, you read Genesis, sin entered the world through Eve, right? Or the wisdom of Solomon, another uh, uh, probably first century BC Jewish text, wrote, wisdom protected the first formed father of the world when he alone had been created. That is, Adam himself was protected by wisdom. But when an unrighteous man departed from her, from wisdom, in anger, he perished because in rage he killed his brother. That's Cain. That is, sin wasn't really Adam's fault, it was really Cain's fault, which is important because Israel's descended from Adam but not Cain. Okay, so it can't be, it can't be Israel's problem. Or the book of Ben Sirach wrote, Shem, Seth and Enosh were honoured, but above every other living creature was Adam. That is the most honoured person, the most honoured father of the world is Adam. He's not the problem, he is to be honoured. The problem we find elsewhere in this book of Ben Sirach, from a woman sin had its beginning, because of her we all die. Now, as I refer to books like The Wisdom of Solomon or Ben Sirach, it might seem like irrelevant trivia, like why why do we care? Brothers, those books are both in Roman Catholic Bibles. And so if our Roman Catholic friends have a different understanding of sin, which I think is implied by these, they will have a different solution to the problem of sin, will they not? If you want some irrelevant trivia, there's another slightly later text where it retells the story of Adam and Eve and Adam says to Eve, oh wicked woman, what have you brought among us? You estranged me from the glory of God. You see, this thread of teaching, it continues through the centuries. Uh, There has been a very long history of finger pointing, sometimes at the devil, sometimes at Cain, but most of all, pointing the finger at Eve. And it's a history that goes back to Adam, doesn't it? When God confronts Adam and he says, the woman you put... Well, actually, it's not just Eve's fault, it's God's fault, because you put the woman here with me. But what does Paul say in this verse? Who brought sin into the world? Let's go back and actually look at Genesis, see what it has to say here. And if you want to understand sin in Genesis 3... You actually need to understand it's Genesis 2 and 3. is all one story. So come to, come to Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you, and the, the Hebrew word there is a singular you, just you one individual, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Okay, it's a singular command to the one man. Why is it a singular command? Well, where was the woman? Read the very next verse. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. That is, the woman's not there. God doesn't give the command to the woman. He gives the command to Adam alone which contradicts every single children's Bible I have ever read. And I've read a few. But that's important because it means when the serpent comes to Eve at the start, at the start of Genesis 3 and Eve gets the command wrong, it's because she wasn't there. Do you hear 
Eve gets the command wrong. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that it's in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. God didn't say that. This, command, this idea that they must not touch the tree, they're adding to God's good command. They're putting fences around God's word, just like the Pharisees do in later centuries, putting rules around rules to make sure we don't transgress the real rule. Eve was deceived. That's her word. She says, the serpent deceived me. But also Paul says it. Uh, 2 Corinthians 11, 1 Timothy 2, the woman was deceived. But Adam, listen to what God says to Adam, Genesis 3, 17. To Adam, he says, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you. And there it's that singular you, you, one person. You must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you, singular. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. See, God holds Adam responsible for transgressing the command. Now, that's not to exonerate Eve. Eve is cursed as well. But in terms of breaking that one command that God gave, Adam alone is held responsible. If you're still not convinced, have a look at when Eve's eyes were opened. Eve ate. Then Eve gave some to Adam. Then Adam ate then the eyes of both of them were opened. It is Adam's eating that actually transforms humanity's relationship with God and the world. And so despite a very long history of pointing the finger at Eve, we need to listen carefully to what Paul says when he says that sin entered the world through one man. So the problem began with Adam. So let's go back to Romans 5.12. Second part of the verse, uh, therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin. One of the texts I quoted a moment ago was, from, was called the Wisdom of Solomon. Another thing that it says in the Wisdom of Solomon elsewhere is, through the devil's envy, death entered the world. Uh, in the Greek, Paul's practically quoting uh, this book, the Wisdom of Solomon. But where the Wisdom of Solomon says it's the devil's fault and... The problem is death. Paul substitutes in these new ideas. No, the problem is the the one man, Adam. Sorry, the the cause is the one man, Adam, but the problem is sin. Sin is the real problem. Death is the consequence of sin. Now, that's probably no surprise to us. Uh, I'm sure we've heard it many times before. We sin and therefore we're judged and die. but that's also the account that we get in Genesis. Okay, there's no surprise here. Genesis 2 to 3, we get this account of sin entering the world through Adam. And in Genesis 4, we see Cain murders Abel in the first death. And then a few verses later, Lamech murders the man who injured him. We have sin and then death. And then we get to Genesis 5 and we just have this catalogue of death as generation after generation come and every single one ends with the words and then he died. 
except for Enoch, who didn't die for obvious reasons that we don't need to explain. I don't know how much you've had to confront death in your ministries so far. For those of you who go into church ministry, this will be an important part of your role. You'll take funerals, you'll comfort those who are grieving, you may sit by the bedside of those who are taking their final breaths. One of my experiences with death in ministry was actually during lockdowns uh, when my grandfather died. Uh, he was in his 90s and he was a Christian man, uh, but this was at the height of the restrictions and you could only have 10 guests at a funeral. And so I decided to cheat slightly and not be a guest. And so knowing my grandfather was a funeral man and not all of the family were Christian, I said, I'll take the funeral and they all agreed. And so I was able to lead this very small funeral for my grandfather uh, and make sure that the gospel was clear. Now, a few weeks later, my uncle, who's not a Christian, went to a funeral for a more distant relative. Now, what was my uncle's thoughts about these two different types of funeral? It was a non-Christian funeral that he went to compared to the funeral that I took. He came back and he said to my father, I want Chris to take my funeral. Now, I can only guess at why he thought that, but here's my guess. When he went to this non-Christian funeral, it was just full of empty platitudes and lies, and it was just so utterly devoid of meaning, utterly devoid of hope. This non-Christian celebrant had nothing to say in the face of death. I've been to a funeral where an avowed atheist stood up and spoke about my great aunt looking down on us. She's up there enjoying a beer and a cigarette. We all knew he didn't believe a word of it. But after talking to him afterwards, he said, what else can you say? What else can you say? That's the irreligious world around us. They've got nothing in the face of death. There's nowhere else to go. But brothers, we have words of eternal life. But for a person who belongs to this old humanity of Adam and sin, death is inevitable. We are living in a world that is utterly devoid of hope, subject to death. Why is our world like this? Why is our world in such a hopeless state? It's because Adam's sin didn't only affect him. I'll finally finish reading this first now. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, in the same way, Death spread to all people because all sinned. Do you see the comparison that's being made? The first half, the first half is actually points one and two on my slide. But the first half, you see sin and then death. And then the second, and the second half, you see death and then sin. 
In the first half, sin enters. In the second half, sin spreads out into the world. In the first half, we've got one man. In the second half, we've got all people. Resonates a bit better in the Greek because it's the same word, but one man, all men, if you like, in an older form of English. See, Adam sinned and was expelled from the garden. In the garden, he had access to the tree of life. Outside the garden, he was subject to death. And all of us as his descendants have been born outside the garden, subject to death. And subject to our own sin. See, death and sin spread throughout the earth, outside the garden. And we all remain in this hopeless state because of our sin. You see the last phrase there? Because all sinned. There has actually been some debate over the centuries about that last phrase, because all sinned, uh, largely stemming from Augustine, who, I put my Greek lecturer hat on for a moment, he was a lousy Greek student and a whole lot of pain could have been saved if he could read Greek. He was reading a dodgy Latin translation that said, uh, death spread to all people in whom all sinned, as in because everyone sinned in Adam. And so it was actually, we were kind of there with Adam and it was his sin, but no, uh, I think this is much more accurate, death spread to all people because all sinned. That is, we can't just point the finger at Adam and say it's all his fault and we're innocent. Yes, it's because of Adam we are outside the garden and subject to sin and death, but we are also ourselves sinners propagating this sin that goes on and on in our world. As sons of Adam, we are corrupt, sinful, subject to death, without hope. Brothers, that's our circumstance. There is no way of getting better. There is no way for you to lift your game and escape this predicament. Death spread to all because all sinned. And that's the end of Romans 5.12. So why did Paul write this verse? Now, as a New Testament lecturer, when I get you to write exegeticals, what do I get you to, to begin with? context. You'll notice I cheated. I haven't given you any context for this verse yet. Um, Why did Paul write this verse that is so lacking in hope, that simply shows the hopelessness of our predicament? It's actually because it's part of this ongoing argument, Romans 5 to 8, about the hope that we do have. Uh, Romans 5, 2 and 5 both refer to this hope that we boast in, this future that we are confident in. And Romans 5.12 shows the absence of that hope for everyone who remains in Adam. But as we keep reading through Romans 5, we find that there is not just this one humanity in Adam, but we have these two different ways of being human. You can be in Adam and follow his way of trespass and sin followed by death, But there's another way. There's the way of the gift. Romans 5.16, 
You get these two ways contrasted. And the first way of Adam begins with one trespass, but the second way it begins with many trespasses. At first, it looks like it's worse, but what follows is a gift. Brothers, we're given new life in Christ, and the gift results in justification. And Romans 6 to 8 will continue to go on and contrast these two different ways of being human, the old way of sin and death and the new way of Christ. And brothers, as we understand our problem in Adam, that will help us to understand the solution that we have in Christ. We can't deal with our sin by drawing on our own resources, by working harder, by becoming better men. We can't do it. We can't lift our game. Now, as men who teach the Bible, I trust we'll never be quite so crude as to simply say to someone, you need to do better and then walk away. Uh, we know that that's not the right answer. But if we're lazy in our thinking about sin, uh, we can so easily fall into that manner and we can communicate from the way that we speak that we're just frustrated with people because they're still struggling. Uh, I, this was something I struggled with in my early years of ministry. It's possible I still struggle with it. Uh, I, I knew how to avoid the words of heresy of saying, yeah, you need to do a better job in order... And, and the unspoken words that I know some people heard were, you need to do better so that God will approve of you. Brother, we need to guard our hearts in this so that our words are just dripping with God's grace and the healing balm of what Christ has done for us. See, our solution to sin does not lie in ourselves or in working harder. Romans 5.12 makes it crystal clear, as long as we're in Adam, we are utterly without hope. But in Christ, we are inwardly and spiritually made into a new man. Outwardly, nothing's changed. I've still got the same flesh that's descended from Adam that's not changed. And as long as I live in this unchanged flesh, the struggle with sin will continue. But the day is coming when these bodies will be changed and the struggle with sin and the old self in Adam will be gone. While we wait for that day, Satan will continue to whisper that you're hopeless He'll tell you that you need to do better. You're not good enough. And he's right, you're not good enough. But you don't need to work harder. You don't need to make yourself better. You've already been made as a new man in Christ. It's done. And as new men, we can and we will make progress in the battle against sin. But we're not going to do it through more effort. Romans 12.2, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. Hear the passive verb? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. But that's a verse for another day. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you have given us this gift of new life in Christ. Thank you that you are transforming us through your work. 
And Father, we pray that we will rely day by day upon what you have done for us and not upon ourselves. And we pray that you might continue to work out this new life in us and through us. In Jesus' name, amen.